Hello, and welcome back to the stories that brought you here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people from Pender Island, British Columbia. Once again, I am your host, Chris Wakaluk, and I'll be sitting down in one-on-one hour-long conversations with current Pender Island residents to hear the stories that brought them to this funny little island we live on. And to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. Today, I'll be speaking with John Miles. Now, if you know John like I know John, then you're going to know him as that guy that used to own Southridge. That's that country store located on Port Wash Road on the North Island. Well, we're going to get to hear John talk about his experience running that store along with many other things. We'll get to hear John talk about how he wound up coming to Canada in the first place from the UK. We'll get to hear John tell the interesting story of how he wound up buying Southridge in the first place and moving to Pender Island. He'll talk about his love of the city of Paris. We'll also get to hear John talk about his little dog, Vinny. Yes, John has a little dog named Vinny. (laughs) All that and so much more in this interview with uh, a guy I really love. I think John's just great. And he and I have a very similar sense of humor. And I have always enjoyed joking around with John. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed giving it. So without further ado, here's my interview with John Miles. Hey, John. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Chris. How's your day been so far? So far, so good. Talking to you. Talking to me. Right on. <laughs> I know. We got an early start for this one. You decided and, to... And use, using uh, Google to get here, which was uh, made it a lot easier. Yeah. You said, oh, no, I have to go to Tragic Lake. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a minefield for those of us who don't live here. It is. It's a, it's a minefield maze. But in the daytime, it's a little bit better, though. Well, yes. It wasn't dark. No. But like when you come here in the dark, some people can get... Oh, I've, I've been lost in Magic Lake. I, I got lost at the um, Lantern Festival one year. I could not find my car. Oh, really? I did eventually, but um, then I went to somebody's house and drank too much. And I couldn't <laughs> drive home. So anyway, that's another story, which probably shouldn't be part of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. Okay. The night John drank too much at the Lantern Festival. For the people who don't know, the Lantern Festival is a New Year's celebration. Mm-hmm. So drinking and New Year's go together. Well, this was, this was after that. And uh, yeah, I was plied too much liquor. Okay. It's not my fault. It's the liquor's fault? The host's fault. Oh, the host's fault. Okay. Mm. Well, at least they gave you a place to sleep. No, they didn't. What? I they... got home, yeah. Okay. All right. That is a whole other story we should not touch on right now. That's but... right. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've gone there, let's go to our traditional first question, which is, of course, what brought you to Pender Island? Pender Island. Uh, what brought me to Pender Island? Um, I have to give you a bit of backstory before I get to that, I think, because the coming to Pender Island just happened at another point in my life. If I, if I could go back a little further than that. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, you know, actually coming to the country in the first place, which was in 1966, and I was married with one small child and um, a boy. So we, uh, I wanted to come for a long time to Canada, uh, having thought about it when I was um, really quite young, before I was a teenager. 
I think it was probably from a radio program, and I can't even remember what the radio program was called in Britain, uh, but I remember the theme song of it, which was, see the red coach riding through the Rocky Mountains, see them something, see the horses, brown and black and bay. And I remember having an argument with my friend at the time that there's no such thing as a bay horse. What's a bay horse? It, it must have been gray. And he said, no, there's a bay horse. And so we had an argument about that. But anyway, um, that's the first memory that I have of wanting to come to Canada. And uh, so moving further on, it was always a, a thought in the back of my mind that uh, this new world country, which was not the United States and it was not somewhere else, uh, but it was a, a specific destination that I wanted to reach, not realizing that once I'd gone through all the immigration nonsense and we'd made the decision to come, that we'd end up in Saskatchewan first. It was good. It was good. Saskatchewan was great. Regina was great. Bloody cold, but uh, really great. So I, I moved around Saskatchewan a bit. had a had a job in the same business in Canada was with a company called Dunlop Tire, which I'm not even sure if they still exist. It was a giant corporation at one time, and I think it probably got taken over. And I worked for them selling tires, uh, theoretically, um, in southern Saskatchewan, which was a great education to Canada and Saskatchewan and the way people are and, you know, going and driving. They gave me a car, I drove around southern Saskatchewan, going for, you know, different towns, Gravelberg, La Flèche, a couple that come to mind, getting lost in all the... Um, crossroads that there are out there in the gravel roads and uh, asking kids you know uh, what's this next town like you know is it is it big enough I'm thinking is it big enough for them to be, have a place that would buy tires and they say well it's a three elevator town and so that's <laughs> some uh, just another incident of, of where um, uh, I learned about Saskatchewan a little bit more. So I lived there for some time doing that job for a short time, then went back into what I uh, had previously done, which was uh, to sell paper products, business forms, and that kind of thing. So I did that um, relatively successfully for uh, quite a few years until I got another job, eventually took me to Calgary, and um, then to Victoria, I'm cutting out a lot of nonsense here, Chris. <laughs> okay, no worries. Yeah. And so um, ended up in Victoria doing much the same, running a running a small printing plant there, actually, and managing it and dealing with the government. And uh, that was uh, quite successful for a while until the company got sold. And ultimately, I didn't go with the second owners and um, was out on my ear, basically. And at that point, I was like, when what, I actually had a, I wasn't out on my ear, I had a three-year contract with them uh, where I had to do very little and got paid for it. So being a lazy person, I took that and then ultimately went for a stress day, went for a stress day to Maine Island, looked at it, thought, mm, it's okay, but um, I can't imagine wanting to be here. Uh, going back uh, to Victoria, where, where we had a, a fairly nice life and a fairly nice house and that sort of thing. And uh, found an ad in the paper 
said um, grocery store for sale. Um, this was on another stress day, and we looked in the paper on the very day that we were going in. And went to, this is me and my wife, actually, and went to um, Pender Island, came to Pender Island, and thought, well, this isn't too bad, and this is a store, it's called Southridge Farms Country Store, I, you know, it's got some potential, but, you know, I don't have any money, I uh, wonder if he'd take a trade of my house, and so we basically did that. Then the question was going back to the bank, borrowing some money to operate the store, and that's did that for a few years. Tough going at first, very tough going. However, didn't go broke, didn't go bankrupt. But at some point, my wife left, and we split up, and um, we then had to go back to the bank and borrow some more money, a bigger mortgage for you know to make a settlement and also get some more money to run the store. So then things started to take off as I changed the theme of the store. It was always a, it was always an organic store, but we pushed that a little harder and um, did a few more things and um, did that for 21 years. Well, I just want to back it up a little bit here and just recap. So you're living in Victoria and then the, uh, sorry, it was a printing business that you were working for? Yeah. So I was actually living in North Saanich and then uh, the printing business was uh, in in Victoria. Okay. All right. So then things are going the wrong direction with that business. And then you said on a, a couple stress days, you decided to take a look at some opportunities, perhaps in the Gulf Islands. What made you attracted to looking at the Gulf Islands? I don't think I was specifically looking at the Gulf Islands at that time, although many, many years before, my wife and kids went back to England for my daughter to be christened, and I was having um, some kind of problem with going to church at that time, not wanting to go to church, not wanting to be part of this, even though my son had been christened and I'd been christened or baptized, as they call it. But anyway, that's why. And I, I got in my, I think it was a 1967 Corvair and drove out to the West Coast while the family went to England. And um, I would like to say adventures ensued, but they didn't really. I went to various different places, went to, across the line to Seattle for some crazy reason, um, turned around and came back pretty quick. And um, the thing that I remember most probably about the trip because I don't remember a lot about it, was going on the ferry, first time I'd ever been on a ferry, and seeing the Gulf Islands, As I, I thought, well, gosh, I'll never, never live here. This is so beautiful that I, I uh, would love to live here, but I can't imagine that I could live anywhere as beautiful as Victoria and the Gulf Islands, you know. And um, And that didn't transpire until many years later when my job such as it was, went away, and I'm, I'm going to repeat myself here. That's okay. I was looking in the newspaper on the day that we were going to go on a trip to the Gulf Islands, to this time to Pender Island. We'd been to Main Island before, and didn't like it. Went to Galliano as well, uh, stayed over in Galliano, and they were they were nice. Somehow, for me at that time, being a city boy, probably slightly creepy, but... Um, when we were going to Pender Island to have a look at that, picked up a newspaper on the same day, and there was a, an ad in there for a general store for sale. And so I um, contacted the realtor, 
And as we went over uh, on the ferry, we, um, not un- unbeknown to us, uh, she was actually sitting right there. Uh, oh, really? She was at Southridge yeah. at that time? Okay. No, no, in the, on the ferry. Oh, on she the ferry, sitting, okay. She was sitting on the ferry going over at the same time. So we met each other actually on the other side and um, and went and looked at the store. And um, I could say the rest is history, but there's um, uh, there's quite a lot more to it. But uh, okay, well let's let's try to pick out the pieces a little bit here because it's interesting that from an ad in the newspaper to looking at a country store, not really having any background, I assume, mm. with owning a retail store up until this point. Is no, that correct? No, never, never. Never thought I'd do... I was in retail when I first left school, but um, never thought I'd own... Never really wanted that, anything like that. Yeah, but I guess an opportunity was happening in your life because something was being taken away, a job that you knew and mm. were familiar with, yeah. and you're looking for a new opportunity, and then this mm. comes up. And so it's making a pretty big plunge that, okay, we don't have the money for this right now, but how about we do a tradesies with our house in this store mm. and then the previous owner said yes that's right that's right and it came it came with a house um so i didn't have to worry about a house as well the house was uh, separate from the store but it was on the same property and uh, i thought it's not a bad deal 2.3 acres and a house and a store and what year was this in john uh, good question. Um, twenty-two years away from uh, back from now. What is that? twenty-two years from from? Oh, it was nineteen ninety-six. I remember now. Nineteen ninety-six. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah. So. So you had this prior experience about going on a road trip years earlier, seeing mm-hmm. the Gulf Islands. Mm-hmm. Telling yourself, wow, I don't think I could imagine living there. So how did you feel when that happened and you, you bought the store and then first first few months of living on the island, how, how did that feel for you? Well, it was, um, uh, if you look back to 1996-97, it was one of the worst winters we'd ever had. <laughs> and so the van that I had taken with the business, which was a big old cube van, uh, that Arnie had been driving around, and uh, Arnie was the guy that owned the store before me, as some of you may remember. And uh, the snow was deep. Luckily, I had um, we'd come over in a Subaru, which has four-wheel drive, and we were able. I was able to go and at least buy milk and bread to bring back. Uh, so we kept things going through that. It was an in- introduction to life on Pender Island that you can never, never be sure of what's going to happen next, whether it's going to rain so much or it's going to snow or it's going to be so hot that uh, you can't, you don't know what to do with yourself, you know. So, but all in all, good. Um, because did you purchase the business just before winter in the fall time? Is that when? Yes. That? Okay. So, yes. so you yeah. move in, winter slams you guys, and then mm-hmm. you're sort of scrambling to kind of keep up with uh, running a business and getting around the island and getting supplies in there. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so this went back from that to, uh, you know, dri- dri- and then driving the big van and going and picking stuff up and making more connections perhaps than than had been had before um, started uh, it w- it was going okay at that point i wouldn't say it was going well maybe breaking even maybe not not sure in the first uh, two or three years and then i'm going back to the fact that my wife left and um at that point i think i thought well okay it's an organic store we need to do that that's great but we need another another hook and at that point i hadn't made any 
contacts with um, the Italian guys. So, because I thought that Italian food is Italian food is so great because it can be as complicated as you like and as simple as you like. And if somebody's got pasta and they've got sauce, uh, they've got a meal. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, a little bit of sausage or something. Uh, I'm just re- remembering my meal from last night. Now, um, <laughs> wait, wait. What was your meal last night? Hot Italian sausage. Hot Italian sausage. Sauce. With and, with pasta? Mm, with pasta. With pasta. Yeah. Okay. And so right. the sausage is cooked into the sauce. And, uh, it was very, uh, really very quite hot. Quite hot you know. we, we had a vegetarian lasagna last night, and we were just commenting on the amount of variations of Italian pasta dishes you can have it's a last good, night. It's, yeah, it's a, a good thing. You know, like if it works for vegetarians as well as uh, carnivores like me, which is incidentally where I bought the sausages. Um, so you made the contacts with the uh, the Italian distributors? So then, I, yeah, in, in fact, uh, I started off with one. Um, I'm, I actually went to a, um, a show. Uh, everything sort of worked quite well together. I went to a show uh, of Italian suppliers and talked to several of them. I uh, started doing business with one. Great, great people to deal with, actually. And I, I have a, a sort of strange affinity for Italians. I, I really love the way that they live. It's so unlike the British. British people tend to be somewhat closed, although they can be very funny. Uh, Italians are bullient and uh, just uh, like uh, they say what they think. And it's, um, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun dealing with those guys. In fact, I... Uh, since I sold the store, I haven't been back to talk to them, and I, uh, the weather hasn't been good, or the you know I'm building a house, whatever. Um, so, but I have to go back and talk to them again because they're such lovely people. So I ended up with three suppliers, three, okay. three Italian suppliers. So three different kinds of pastas, three different kind of brands of pasta, many different kinds of pasta, and different kinds of sauce, different kinds of everything. You know, so that was a good that was a good move. And that worked quite well for me and uh, added to that uh, the organic food that we were selling, lots of veggies, lots of well-farmed meat, staying away as much as possible from the stuff that would be sold at a bigger store, no names, and um, (laughs) a place I I shop. Um, You can cut that piece out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're leaving that piece in. That's okay. All right. So, you know, it's interesting. I just want to stick with Southridge for a little bit longer and just uh, find out a little bit more because just as you're speaking about the day-to-day workings of running a store and decisions you have to make in order to get more clientele in and figure that out. And you said that once you established more organics and then the Italian foods, you, you felt as if you had uh, more people coming in and buying buying goods from you, right? Correct. And so is that the early 2000s we're talking about that happened? So you bought it in 96 and... Yes, we're, we're into the 2000s now. I am, uh, you know, my, uh, my wife left earlier than that. And uh, I'm totally focused on the store, basically, okay. at, this, at this point. Uh, the store and um, not a huge personal life. It was taking up a lot of your time. It was taking up a lot of time, yeah. Okay. But I enjoyed it. Uh, so... It was good. The um, only thing about when you run a small store on Pender Island, and people should perhaps remember this, any kind of small store, but particularly a grocery store, 
uh, is that um, getting up at one o'clock in the morning when the power is out and putting generators on is not a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun. Not no. Not a lot of fun. Not kind um, of to be out there in your pajamas and house coat or whatever. And, um, you know, that was, that was hard. But, you know, there's a sense of triumph when you actually get things running and keep things running and uh, go in in the morning and people still show up to shop. Um, it was good, even in the dark, uh, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I got a lot of support. Nice, nice. Mm -hmm. And so I've always seen you as such a pertinent member of the community because you are in an establishment ever since I came to the island. Oh, there's John from Southridge. And, you know, every time you go in there, you were there and have some great joking around with you as we as we do. But uh, it's interesting as you're explaining how much time that you had to put into it. How did you view your connection to the community? Because I'm, I'm sure you weren't necessarily going out a lot, just being busy with the store and your interactions with the community were probably mostly based around the interactions at the store but how did you feel about uh, your inclusivity within the community during the time that you've been on pender well i'm not a gregarious type of person which which may sound strange coming from a guy that had a store where you were uh talking to people all the time so i i made some friends there but um also uh, at that time, uh, the early days were uh, friends who had their own businesses on the island. So um, you have certain connections because you face similar problems and how to how to generate more business and that sort of thing. But as I said, I'm not a gregarious person, so I didn't make a lot of friends. The ones that I made became fast friends, I think, and lots of acquaintances, I would say, who didn't become close friends. And and the islands are also a place where some people settle down and some people, um, and, and to my surprise, I settle down. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people come and go. Sure. And so you meet people and you think this is a good person. This is somebody I'd like to know better. And then they leave, you know, because it's it's tough for some people to put down roots. Absolutely it is, on, yeah. On an island like this, you've got to find your own niche. So I'm, I had a, a lot more acquaintances than I had friends. But it's but, interesting to hear you mention that you developed uh, connections with other small business owners because of mm -hmm. uh, the shared experiences of the uh, the ups and downs of running small businesses on the island. Mm -hmm. I never would have suspected that or thought of that, no, actually. No, they're completely different businesses, generally speaking. I mean, we always, we always talk. I mean, I would talk to the um, people at the hardware store about their, you know, they had their own problems and successes, of course, as they're a very successful business. Christine, uh, who had a uh, shop at um, Hope Bay, you know, who since given it up. But, um, you know, it, it's a struggle to run a business on Pender Island sometimes. And uh, especially if you're away from the driftwood, the driftwood is a draw and it is an attraction. So quite a few businesses succeed at, at driftwood where they won't at other small spots. 
I don't know if you want to keep this bit in. Uh, no, no, that's okay. I think I think it's interesting. It's just really neat to get to hear a bit of a perspective on things because it, doing this podcast is not necessarily just for the current times. I mm. think the historical aspect for people listening mm. in the future to this mm. have some idea as to what things were like in the mid nineties versus mm. you know twenty nineteen. It's really interesting, yeah. and so uh, yeah, these these stories are great. But you you recently uh, sold Southridge. You recently moved on from that experience. Um, and what what made you say that it was time to let go of the store? Uh, age, age, <laughs> age, and um, I was getting to the point where I don't have to sell today, uh, but I think I'm going to put the word out there that I would sell if the right person came along. So I definitely didn't want to put it through an agent. I had talked to one agent who's not normally. He's not one of the main agents on the island, but it's somebody I'd talked to before. His idea of what the place was worth and mine were completely different. He only could see it as a house with a little store attached. And I saw it as something completely different. And I knew that it was worth... Uh, it was a good business and becoming a better business all the time. Uh, with somebody new in there, it would be revitalized. And I think you're seeing that now. I think the, um, some money spent on it made it look a lot better than it was. But we were growing. I was actually, I never paid too much attention to my balance sheet, to be honest. As long as I was paying my way, I was quite happy. But once I sold it, and looking back on the, the last two years, I was like, holy diner. I can't believe I made that much money in the last two years. And um, so, yeah, I was, uh, it was becoming quite successful at that point. There were a lot more people coming. And um, so, the, you know, the word got around. I think at some point I had, uh, when, the, when I started the Italian stuff, I think I was, in my head, I was looking for something to make Southridge a des destination rather than just a place you, you happen upon. Sure. And, um, you know, it's the place across from the hardware store. You know, that's the way we would, we would explain it. But at some point, I wanted to make it a destination of its own. And I think when we started to bring the Italian stuff in and start to get some vibe going, uh, that that's when it, it really took off. So uh, that was just before I sold, really, the two years before I sold that's when the vibe had worked and, the, and things were happening and uh, and it was good. And so I, I wish the new owners all the success in the world and I hope it uh, continues, you know. Nice. That's a really uh, wonderful way to end off your your business career with the store in such an upswing. You know, I think that a lot of people who've owned businesses along the way have unfortunately had to shut them down. Because, yeah, yeah. Friends, yeah. I've known a, a few people who have uh, have come and uh, and gone. You know, and I've, you know the. Uh, you have to have a certain amount of staying power, and you and you and you certainly don't need to be the person that needs a lot of money to live on. And I, I certainly didn't. I had the house, had the store, had enough food forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> any any day of the week there was food, uh, so that was never never a problem. And as long as I had enough money to take off and go to the UK when I wanted to, first time there I was going once a year. 
and then I discovered Paris, and then I wanted to go there. What? Again. Okay, well, let's let's jump into that. So you're you're heading home roughly once a year, and uh, why are you going home? What uh, what is it that's drawing you to um, go home that frequently? Well, initially, my mother was there, and she passed away while I had the store. And my dad had died earlier of a heart attack. Quite young, really. Um, it's a something in my family that goes through my family, and. Um, my brother had a heart attack, and um, my son passed away from a heart attack in 2011. Uh, devastating. Um, tough to talk about. Understandable. We don't. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have to go there if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want to? It sounds like you might want to talk about the history of heart problems in your family or well I, I i don't know what the history is really probably uh, maybe too much bacon i don't know um, <laughs> um yeah my dad um i remember living in uh pence saskatchewan when i got that news from um his he he divorced from my my mother and um, was uh, living with another woman who I knew uh, and had moved to Yorkshire in England. And um, I got the, um, the news from, my, uh, from his new wife's son, which uh, probably didn't thrill me that much getting it that way. It obviously didn't thrill me that my dad had passed away suddenly and I wasn't there. And there's no way I could get back. Uh, and so my brother, who was a lot younger than me, and I think only 19 at the time, uh, was the one that had to carry the burden of um, going to the funeral and that kind of thing. And my dad was a well-loved man, uh, manager at a cement company, and my brother went up there, and uh, all the um, the crane drivers dipped the cranes in salute. So it was kind of cool, but... Um, and he had actually uh, taken my brother uh, to Nigeria when he he went for to Nigeria for a year or so. My dad uh, to run a cement plant to get him up and running in Nigeria, and um, uh, my brother went over on a holiday, and so he's got pictures of um, himself in uh, chief's robes at um, you know the people there, and he had a good time, you know. But um, yeah, so my dad had passed away, and. Uh, uh, when I lived, as I say, in, in Pence, Saskatchewan, and then so um, my brother, uh, quite a bit later, um, I was, uh, by this time I was on Pender Island when he had a heart attack, and I got that um, message. Um, I wasn't at home at the time, and I got the message. And um, he survived, and um, as a lot of people do nowadays with um, stints, uh, in their hearts, and, and uh, he survived and survives to this day, and uh, is um, about twice as big as me, and a quite happy guy with four kids, and um, lives in the UK. So I like to go back and see him. And uh, then, when, then later on, my mother passed away, and uh, I went over for that funeral um, with my brother, and um, I've been going back fairly frequently ever since, and. Also, at that point, uh, at some point, I can't remember how many years ago now, but I discovered Paris as well and loved it. What do you love about Paris so much? I, I, 
I don't know. I just read books about any book, any story book about people that moved there. I went there with um, a, a woman that I was um, seeing at the time, living with actually, <laughs> and we were thinking about um, buying a place in France. We went to other parts of France as well, but I I kept coming back, going back to Paris after we um, we broke up, and uh, I think I've been there six times now. It's Joie de vivre, I guess. Uh, it just doesn't matter where you walk in Paris. You'll see something new all the time. And yeah. It's uh, just, I uh, don't necessarily go there for the food. Some of it's good. Some of it's terrible. Um, <laughs> some of it's really terrible. <laughs> okay. And um, so you avoid the tourist places as much as possible. And I stay at the same apartment every time. And um, what, uh, what district is that in? It's in Montparnasse. Which I find it's not actually central um, Paris, but it, well, I guess it kind of could be. There's, there seem to be a lot of centers to Paris, you know, um, uh, Montmartre and uh, Champs Elysees, and uh, you know, they're all different. And it's all everywhere you go is different in Paris. It's always something going on. Last time I went, uh, it was there had been. As always, there were demonstrations and riots and people had smashed windows. And the police were out in full force. There were um, there would be trains of, I call it trains, so many vehicles, all with the sirens going. They always have the sirens going, all the time. And so there's, I don't know, 20 cars or something in this, uh, 20 vehicles. And they would go through. I don't know if they were just flying the flag or what, but... Um, that that happened uh, quite a bit while you're sitting at a sidewalk cafe. I know what you mean. Actually, I, it, my wife and I were just there uh, two years ago, just over two years ago. And, and uh, I'd been there once before, but she had never been there. So I got the experience to take Geneva over there. And mm. that city is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's such a beautiful place. And there's just mm-hmm. a infinite amount of wonderful yeah. things to do. I could, I could almost live in the Luxembourg Gardens. I I, I don't know if you went there or not. Oh, yeah. I, twice. Yeah. Twice in the yeah, same trip. Yeah. I, it's always my go-to place. It's a cafe right outside. Uh, there is one inside, actually, as well. But there's one outside that I go for coffee and then walk over across the road and into Luxembourg Gardens. Do the whole walk all the way through there to the other end, and um, then there's restaurants. The other end is restaurants everywhere, and like I said before, some of them are good, some of them are terrible. Well, we were, we were actually just talking about this last night. We were reminiscing about the trip with a friend who was visiting, and uh, Geneva was talking about eating uh, tartare over there. Mm-hmm. So raw, Ooh, well, raw she, meat. Oh, she's a lot braver than I am. Me too. I didn't. Eat, she was trying to feed me a bite, and I said, "No, I don't mm-hmm. want to." It's mm-hmm. disgusting. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind if it's a little rare, but not not, to, not tartare. You know. I thought it was lasagna. I was unclear as to what was going on there, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it was good. But are you heading back to Paris anytime soon? Well, I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen. Um, right now, I'm sort of focused on uh, getting the house finished, and there's some work to be done. There's some some uh, landscape contracting to be done. There's um, some trim to be done in the house. I want to get all that finished before I go away. 
And um, then I'll see if there's any money left. <laughs> <laughs> Good old house repairs. Uh, yeah, they, they suck up the expenses. Actually, that was something I wanted to, to talk about as well, too, is that your decision to uh, remain on Pender Island after selling the store and the house where mm-hmm. you lived included with it. But when we spoke before doing the interview, you mentioned that at first you're looking at uh, moving off of Pender once you uh, sold the store. That's correct. That's correct. I had... Uh... In fact, I told a lot of people I was going to move to Victoria or thereabouts. And I started to look at places that I would, you know, a single man, what are you, where, are you gonna, where are you going to live? Um, looked at condos, of course, because that's, and, and townhouses, because you don't need anything too big and certainly don't want to do too much housekeeping and that, that sort of thing. Not Specifically, me doesn't want to do too much housekeeping. Anyway, looked at some condos, went inside them, thought, oh my God, this is this is really not, not for me. Like used condos are tend to have a, the look of the people that are in them now. And uh, these are people of my age, but I don't um, necessarily feel that I'm that age. And so there's something drab about it. There's just something drab about it. And uh, new condos are like new condos. Like I don't need, I don't need this. For some reason, there's something there that says no. This is not me. And then somebody said to me, "Well, don't you have a lot of friends on Pender?" I said, "Well, yeah, I kind of do. Maybe." Uh, and then once I started looking back on Pender, and I, I was trying to find a house, and uh, didn't think there was going to be anything that I particularly liked and then happened upon this place that had not been built as a residence in the, in the first place and it was built uh, as something completely different and had never been permitted as a residence, although it was being used for that purpose. So it's it became a project, um, a big project when I decided to, to buy this place. It's very small, um, but um, by the same token, the um, building inspector uh, needed it it needed to, to meet 2017 code, uh, which for those of you who don't know, uh, I'll tell you now that your windows are not up to code <laughs> unless your house was built in 2017. And they just look the same as the old ones, but apparently they're not. So all the windows had to come out of the house. All the doors had to come out of the house. Wow. Uh, the siding had to come off the house and rain screen. You know what that is? Most people don't. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm going to say no. I don't know what it is. That had to be installed, and it uh, goes under the siding, and uh, presumably keeps the house from getting damp. So then we put some different siding on, and did all those jobs that had to be done. I think it's it's to code now, and um, almost finished. It hasn't been uh, it hasn't had its final inspection yet, but it's pretty close to that. Uh, it's ready for it, really. Um, so now I've got to make sure it's completely painted, finished the painting that I was doing myself. Um, there's still work to be done outside. There's, there's still trim to be done inside the house. But once that's done, it'll be great. Okay. It is. I like I love it. It's just very small, but it's big enough for me and my little tiny dog. Your little tiny dog? What's your tiny dog's name? My little tiny dog's name is Vinny. Vinny. Because he's got attitude, boy, I tell you. Did he have attitude when you first got him? And you're like, I sense the attitude right away. Yeah, he had attitude. He's had it, uh, yes. Yeah. Right right from the beginning. He's a little tiny dog and thinks he can take on anything, any, any size of dog. So, yeah, he's a little thug. 
that's part of being a little tiny dog is yeah. you have yeah. to imagine you yeah. can take on any other dog. And he can. Yeah, he just walks around like a little gangster. Really? Yeah. What, what kind of dog is Vinny? He's largely Boston Terrier, uh, apparently. That's the, that's what they said. And uh, But he's got Chihuahua ears, so I know there's uh, quite a mix in there. Um, but he's great. Got a lot of personality. Where'd you get Vinny from? How did you come across him? Uh, my daughter's groomer had him, and he was causing a lot of trouble with her Chihuahuas. Um, he's not from... He wasn't bred there. He, he's, he's had a challenged life. He'd been uh, up in the Okanagan and... Uh, um, had been to various foster homes, and so uh, he's pretty happy now, I think. But uh, yeah, challenging life for a small dogs sometimes. Sure. How how old is Vinny? I think he's around three. You know. Okay. All right. So still a young guy. He's just he's pretty young still. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, you, actually, you just mentioned your daughter there, and uh, I, I just want to uh, find out uh, something about your daughter because you you told me something earlier today that's uh, right around a very special day for her. It was her. It was her fiftieth birthday, and um, if we go back just over a year ago from that, it was you know um, she almost. This is sometimes difficult to talk about because she had a stroke on the day six years later that my son died. Our son, our son um, had a heart attack and died. I think I probably mentioned that earlier, and. Uh, she had a stroke on the same day, a massive stroke. So when, you, when you've had that happen already and then you go and see her in the hospital and she's uh, in a coma, uh, don't recommend it. It's not, not fun. Not, definitely not fun for her. But uh, she's a fighter and uh, came through that. And um, <clears throat> so, so for her to have a fiftieth birthday is something extra special. Right on. What is your daughter's name? Uh, it's Danielle. Danielle. Uh, yeah, yeah. She was um, she was born in Regina. She would never go back to Regina for some reason I don't know. Um, we lived in Saskatoon as well after Regina, and she went to school there. I think she had a happy, happy enough. Um, uh, school days and childhood, um, but um, she she got married out here. She loves it out here, and uh, so whether she'll, I don't think she'll ever go back to teaching. She was a fantastic teacher, and she is. Whilst not one hundred percent recovered from stroke, she is um, in. in um, uh, very good, you know. Like I mean, she knows she's not recovered. Nobody else would know that she had a stroke at this point. So she's come out of it very well, uh, with the help of her, mostly from from her husband and her mother. Uh, I uh, living on Pender. This is it's a little more challenging. Um, you know, you you wonder if you made the right decision, but um, I still think I did because. Me being a happier person is, means I'm happier around my daughter as well when I see her. So it's all going to be great. Okay. Well, yeah, that's that's it's scary stuff. The idea of having mm -hmm. a stroke for sure, and especially mm -hmm. at a uh, a relatively y younger age. Yeah. Of course, right? But um, yeah, thanks for uh, sharing those uh, personal, intimate uh, details, John. I appreciate mm -hmm. you uh, opening up and sharing those things. What what I what I was going to tell you is that you know the 
the, the heart attacks in my family, uh, my uh, my father and um, and my son, um, both dying of um, of heart attacks, and um, my brother having had a heart attack as well. I seem to be a very sneaky guy, and I've um, sneaked around the heart problems. And my heart apparently is like pretty damn good from somebody my age and so I'm very fortunate like that and uh, I'm thank I'm very thankful for that absolutely yeah absolutely and maybe just to finish off a uh, happy belated 50th birthday to your daughter by the way who you mm-hmm. said is going to be listening to this when it comes out in a little mm-hmm. bit but uh, okay. you said as well too that uh, it was through the help of her husband and also her mother your mm-hmm. ex-wife that yeah. uh, that uh, she helped yes. helped along with yeah. the yeah, recovery we're, we're we're good friends um my my ex and, and me and uh, she's been uh, you know i've been somewhat absent uh, from my my daughter's recovery but my wife's been there all every step of the way so it's all good it's all good okay and then uh being on pender and making the choice to be here you feel happy about that choice because you feel as if you're in a, a space that feels comfortable and you're surrounded by a lot of people. That, I have a uh, lot of friends, yeah. a lot of friends, more than I realized, you know, really. Yeah, it's good. It's all good. More than you realized. Yeah, really. Nice. Really. You, sometimes you, you have acquaintances who become friends or people that have worked for me um, who become friends. And uh, I have a lot of those. Um, if you go back in time to all the number of people that have, that have worked at the store while I've been there, and um, right from from Ava, who uh, phoned me, God, how many years ago now? Probably 19 years ago, something like that, maybe 20, 21, I don't know. She was in Poland at the time, and she called me, because she wanted a job. And if I had a job, she wanted it, you know, because that's Ava and she'll go after anything <laughs> she wants. And so um, right through all the wonderful people who've worked there, they know who they are, um, right up to Nancy, who was uh, there as I, as I sold the place. And, uh, and she stayed on for a while. And uh, she's awesome. My, I, can't, I won't give you all the names of the people that worked there, but... Uh, you know, um, Matilda was there and a few other people, people you'd know. Yeah. Uh, what, when we just talked before doing the interview and, and uh, I mentioned that the second traditional question I always get to is the people have helped you along the way. You uh, you hinted at the fact the people who worked for you at Southridge were some of the greatest help that you received on this island were mm-hmm. your employees helping you along the way, some mm-hmm. of the people who you just mentioned. But uh, that's that's uh, accurate to say that uh, the people who have helped you the most on the island have been uh, your employees? Um, yes, I think I think they've, they've been the ones that I'm, I've spent so much time with them on every day. You know, they, uh, like I said, Ava before and Anne Ashton and... Tons of people. I mean, tons of people. I can't. I couldn't possibly. I'd have to. Um, I'd have to have another evening of writing down stuff and um, uh, of all the people that work for me because there's so many, so many friends that I've made as well that um, you know came and stayed in the house and you know, my goodness, just people I've met through other other people that worked there or been friends there and yeah, it's a. It's a. It's been a good life. 
Nice. You know, I think some people work in jobs where they're very isolated and, you know, they might work mm -hmm. with the same handful of people for you know, yeah. 10 or 20 years and there's no customers coming in. And it's, it's interesting. It sounds as if, you know, you had so many interactions with so many people along the way and uh, not to mention the employees that you just mentioned and that mm -hmm. is a very social environment. I mean, there's so many people that I, I can't mention. Some of them, some of them worked one day a week. Some of them, you know, did my books i think i think they're all friends you know really just to get back to maybe when you first came to the west coast mm -hmm. and uh let me tell you just how that happened okay sure yeah so Perfect. i was working for the company for a company a, a printer of business forms in Calgary, actually, and I um, was not happy with the company that I decided to move to. Um, so my old boss at some point called me up and I said, well, where have you been? I haven't talked to you for ages. <clears throat> and he said, oh, well, I never had anything to offer you before. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, do you, um, what do you think about Victoria? I'm not happy at this time and I'm thinking – that sounds pretty damn good. I've been to Victoria once in my life, and I, I I think I wouldn't mind giving it a try. So I didn't say that to him. What I said to him was, well, yeah, I'd have to take a look first. And um, and he said, okay, well, we'll fly you out there, and you can spend a couple of days in a hotel. And I, I said, okay, sign me up. Yeah. So we went out, my wife and I went out and um, stayed at a nice hotel in, in Victoria and looked around and um, – the guy that was um, doing the job now, the managing this uh, small printing plant uh, in Victoria, he was living in North Stanage, and we were able to rent the same house. As he moved out, we moved in, and um, so that was uh, that worked out really well for us. And um, the job was was fun and interesting for quite a few years. I can't remember how many years it was now. I remember I had my 50th birthday there. And um, the uh, the people were great. I really enjoyed the job. It was a, it was an actual printing plant. And so it was something that I'd, I'd been around printing equipment before, but I'd never, uh, I'd, and I didn't have to use the equipment, but I had to um, understand it. And I did. So that was, that was good. And um, and then and we did a lot of work uh, with the government, and um, that was fun. We and we moved into this house in North Sandwich, and then eventually we bought a house also in North Sandwich, and lived there for quite quite a few years, um, fairly happily. Yeah. Okay. I I still love the story about you driving out west and having that uh, experience of seeing the west coast on on uh, that uh, solo road trip and yeah, then... on, a, on, a, on a ferry yes i mean it was uh, i never thought that when i took that trip that one time trip from vancouver to to uh, victoria and back again uh that i would be doing that trip and that ferry and those ferries every week for 21 years or whatever it was uh, when I had the store. So, yeah, no, it was something, a completely different experience from, from living in Saskatchewan and Alberta. Um, the terrain was different. The um, people are different too. And people say that people on the West Coast are a bit standoffish, but I never found that. I found them to be brilliant, lovely people. And um, everywhere I worked, it's all been good. Right on. Yeah. Pivotal road trip in your life. Pivotal Great moment. country. 
I'm sorry? It's a great country. Yeah. Um, it's the, the only problem with Canada that I can see is too bloody big. Um, it's, you know, you, um, you lose friends. You can only talk to them on the phone. It's too far to go. Or it's, you know, um, uh, that's the only problem with it. Other, apart from that, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in terms of uh, traveling within the country. I think that people easily dismiss that idea mm-hmm. that going to Quebec or the Maritimes or the Yukon, these are all beautiful, amazing mm-hmm. places. And mm-hmm. even within BC, BC is huge. Vancouver Island itself is just filled with amazing things to yeah. see. And that yeah. uh, there, there was a time in my life where I drove across the country back and forth twice in the same in a two year span. Mm-hmm. And I thought everybody should at least do this once. It is amazing to see how mm-hmm. it uh, how it changes. But yeah, it's a it's a beautiful country. But it's it is. driving through Ontario for three days. My gosh. Yes, I know it is. It is. Uh, yeah, I'm driving across the prairies. Yeah, it takes a long time and it's somewhat boring. It's it's actually the prairies are not boring to me, but um, it can be to a lot of people. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, the whole place is great. When you come from a small island. Uh, like the UK, like England, and then you come, and now I'm living on a small island. It's a much smaller island. Yeah, but part of a huge, huge country. It's different. Yeah, but I love it. Right on. Well, well I think we're going to uh, wrap this up, but uh, I'm going to leave the last word to you, as I always do with people. Is there uh, anything that you want to uh, end off with and say to people listening to this podcast? Uh, nothing that, that strings brings to mind except you know that um, it's been a joyful experience to live on Pender Island and uh, not not a hundred percent. There have been some um, definitely some uh, missteps along the way, um, but um, all in all, yeah, it's worked out really well. The people are lovely. Right on. Well, thanks for coming in and thanks for keeping Southridge going and uh, having that place for us to go uh, to. And always, every time I walk into Southridge, I think, ah, I love that smell. Yeah. What is that smell, John? What? What is there? An, is there? An, is there a Southridge air freshener that you can sell or uh, Team Spirit? Team Spirit. <laughs> I think that's what the smell is. Okay. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> thanks for coming in. All right. All right. Well, thanks very much to John for doing that interview. And to honor that interview, I decided that I would come down to McKinnon Beach. So McKinnon Beach is located on the North Island, and you have to drive up a short road by the name of McKinnon Road to get here. And there's a little ocean access with some stairs leading down. And the reason I decided I would come here is because, well, I don't know why I decided I would come here. Just intuitively, something drew me here today to wrap up John's interview. So while I've been here, I've seen a couple ferries go by and thinking of John coming to the island for the first time on a ferry and his multiple, multiple trips ever since. And this is located near the ferry terminal, this beach. And along with being a really beautiful spot, I find it to be a super cleansing place. Every time I come down here, I feel really good as soon as I come down to the water. And I don't know if you can hear the water lapping up right now. It's the remnants of the waves of the ferry going by. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Tarmigan for helping to sponsor this podcast. And until next time.